This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. As Jesus was led away to be crucified, it just seemed that everything was broken. You see, they had a dream, but all they had now were broken dreams. You see, their dream was that he was the one they'd been waiting for, the one to throw off the foreign oppression and the one to liberate them. It had been talked about for a long time. They'd hoped for it, they'd prayed for it, they'd worked for it. They thought they were about to see it. But as Jesus is led away, the dreams were broken. But that wasn't the only thing that was broken. It wasn't just some political project. This was personal. We see before the cross a grieving mother and the disciples and friends. We see broken hearts. We see that Jesus had lived this life for 33 years and he made a difference to people. He'd been part of somebody's family. He, he, he had brothers. He had friends. He had people who had received his ministry and when he died they were broken hearted. They were despairing. Broken dreams, broken hearts, and a broken body. On Good Friday, Jesus is all in. Je Jesus is not partly in. Jesus, Jesus is not giving a bit of a talk. Jesus is not doing a bit of a skit. Going home, you know, having a roast dinner. Some, I don't know, some falafel, right? No, Je Jesus is all in. Is a broken body. Jesus goes all the way to the end. And everything seems broken. All that we have as Jesus is led away to be crucified is another example that the world is broken. Hopes have been dashed once again. And what we all feel, our yearning for justice, our yearning for something better, is again cut short. Everything is broken. But you see, Jesus understood something. He understood that they had a bigger problem than the Romans. He understood that there was a bigger thing going to play. But actually, the brokenness of humanity, our falling short of the way God operates, is the real problem behind human suffering. It's not whoever happens to be in power at the moment. But there's something deeper and darker going on. It says in Romans chapter 6 in the New Testament that the wages of sin is death. You work for sin all your life and death is your pension. There's a way of living and you can live that way but it leads to a dead end. That's what it's saying. There's, there's something deeper, there's something broken within every individual. You see, we have this fear. Well, the problem with our fear is fear can lead to division. And division leads to hate. And hate leads to violence. So our brokenness as individuals becomes a broken society. Everything seems broken. So what changed? From that moment of everything being broken, what changed? What changed by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, we've got to say that it wasn't God. God didn't change. Some, some people think 
Now, this idea of God, that God used to be this sort of vengeful, angry, violent, spiteful, short-tempered kind of God, and then God changed at the cross. God didn't change. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. God didn't change, but, but what changes on the cross is our broken concept of God. Our broken ideas about God forever are smashed by the cross. You see, the people who were in charge at the time, whether that be the Romans or the Jewish leaders, if they were around today, you know, they're the kind of people who'd say, I'd kill for a Nobel Peace Prize. Are you with me? You know, those kind of people, you know, it, it, it was about status. And if, if, that, if that meant violence, if that meant control, if that meant domination, if that meant manipulation, that's what it meant. But status was their goal. But you see, we have something different here. We don't have a God prepared to kill, we have a God prepared to die. And, and, and we see the, this irony go further when we hear, as we've just read, the people mocking Jesus on the cross. You know, my friend told me the other day, I don't understand irony, which was ironic because we were at a bus stop at the time. Okay, we'll try something more on your level later. But you, you see this here in, in the crucifixion of Jesus. That, as we just read, the written notice against him read, the king of the Jews. It's ironic. It, it was a criticism. This, this man was a pretender. This, this man, did he want to lead some sort of rebellion? We, we soon put pay to that. But he says that they hurled insults at him, saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. This magnificent temple. He's going to tear it down and rebuild it. He can't even get out of this situation. But the irony is, you see, to come down from the cross would be to actually end that project because the new temple is the new covenant community. The new, the new community, the new place of worship, the new place of, of agreement and relationship and the new thing that God is doing. Jesus is birthing by being on the cross, not from coming off the cross. And we see that even more clearly in the next verses when the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves he saved others they said but he can't save himself let this Messiah this King of Israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe in one of the other gospels it says if you are the son of God then come down from the cross but the reality is that coming down from the cross would exactly make him not God because God is cruciform God in his very nature is self-sacrificial, is poured out, is love given for us. Coming down from the cross wouldn't make him God because he was powerful, because he was able to escape. It would make him not God because it is God's nature to go all the way in his self-sacrificing love. So in Jesus' body, in this image, we see the death of our mistaken image of God. God doesn't deal with violence by saying, I can be more violent than the rest of you. That's the story of history. That's the story of empire. But God 
deals with violence by absorbing, by as the victim, as the weak, as the powerless, as the abandoned. That's how God deals with violence. Maybe, uh, like me, you were disturbed earlier in the week as you saw the images of Notre Dame Cathedral burning on our TV screens. My wife Kelly and I went there on our honeymoon and, because um, you know, visiting old church is a great thing to do on your honeymoon, right? Come on, are you with me? And uh, we, we went there on our honeymoon in Paris and um, it was amazing to watch those scenes and, and know that we were feeling something. We were grieved. We were moved. Nobody died. I don't think anybody was even seriously hurt, but we were still moved. We were still grieved. Why? It's part of a building. Why does that move us? Why does that mean so much to us? That might just give us a little picture of what it would have felt like when they saw the broken temple that we just read about. It said that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. A broken curtain, or maybe better, a torn curtain. And as this curtain is torn, this curtain isn't some ordinary curtain, no. This isn't the curtains in your front room. This curtain is an incredible, heavy, embroidered curtain with colours of purple and red. It wasn't like today where you just, you know, go onto a website and order some thread and it gets delivered the next day. I mean, they worked to, to, to dye these fabrics, to create these colours, to create this picture, this mosaic, this representation of a whole universe. And at that moment, their universe was riven. Their universe was torn apart. Their, 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 their shared life, their community, which centred on this city, which centred on this temple in the middle of this city, and it was torn, and it was broken open. And everything that was sacred, and everything that was kept, and everything that was valued, was suddenly defaced. But you see, that curtain that, that held people back from how they understood the presence of God, how, how they understood the place where, where, where God was most real, most revealed to them. As that was torn, as that was torn back, that curtain, like a, like a veil, like a curtain that, that covers, that conceals things, is pulled back and something within it, something behind it is revealed. It says that the centurion looks at the cross and says, surely this man was the son of God. What, this man? This naked, bloody mess? This crucified man? I mean, that's not how we think of God, is it? I mean, our conceptions of God, our ideas of, of, of God throughout history and different cultures. God is big. God is strong. God is powerful. God is this super being, this superman. But the centurion looks at this weak man, this abandoned man, and says, this is God. This is what God looks like. And you know, that is the way that God helps us. As one image of God dies, another one is revealed. You see, because what is revealed, what is disclosed, is that love 
is the fundamental reality. That it isn't power, it isn't violence, it isn't domination, but love is the ground of our being. And that thing that we talk about, that thing that we can't describe, but we name as God, that thing, at the heart of it all, when you get down to it, the fundamental truth about reality is relationship. Even at the molecular level, there's vibrations. Are you with me? There's relationship. There is love. That is fundamental. And Jesus discloses that by going all in, all the way to the end on the cross. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, something to be used to his own advantage. All the power, all the status, all the knowledge of God, that, that, that wasn't what he did. He made himself nothing. Took the very nature of a servant and humbled himself, was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's because of that that Jesus is worth lifting up. You see, for a lot of people there, God is deus ex machina. All the literary scholars with me right now. All the film writers with me right now. Deus ex machina. Well, you know this if you read novels. You're reading a novel and, and things are petering out. Things are moving along. And all of a sudden, this character's rocked in. And you go, where did that come from? Who are they? And this character is brought in to solve this, this cul-de-sac, this problem that the author's gone into. It's bad writing. You see it in films all the time. When all of a sudden, this poorly developed character, which has not been part of the story, turns up to solve the dead end they've landed in. Well, this comes literally from the Greeks. What they used to do in Greek theatre is they had an actual mechanical crane, and they used to lower the gods into the play, onto the stage. Deus Ex Machina, God from the machine. And the crane would literally lower the God into the play, and the God would decide. The God would resolve. The God would bring out the ending for the play. But you know, for many people, that's what their God is. The God they look for is the power in the world. Oh no, I'm in a situation. I need the power of God right now in this situation. I, I, I need the resolution of God. I've got something I can't explain. I've got something I can't do. That's where God fits. That's what their God is. It's, it's that addition. It's that power in the world. But on the cross, God helps us not in power, but in weakness. You see, God reveals this love at the centre of everything. Let me explain that a bit more. Let's see how that really makes a difference and how that helps us. By looking at this final thing that's broken. And it's broken tombs. It says in Matthew's account of, uh, of the curtain ripping, that as well as the curtain ripping, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. And many holy people came out of the tombs and went into the city and appeared to people. Which is really normal, right? <laughs> But, but what, what's Matthew saying? What's going on here? Even before we get to Jesus' resurrection, we have other people being resurrected. We have this thing going on where somehow death has lost its hold, its power, its control. That actually, the, the, this world that is driven by fear, this dead-end way of living, this hopelessness, 
Actually, even that itself has been broken. These powers that seem to con conspire against Jesus have been exhausted of their power. Not because it, they, they've been dominated, but, but they, they can't be exhausted. They can't extinguish his light. And we love that message in the Northern Hemisphere in spring, don't we? That light triumphs over darkness. Somehow, that's what's happened for these broken tombs. But of course, Jesus' tomb isn't broken on Resurrection Sunday. It's empty. Yeah. It's empty. I mean, people are supposed to stay in their tombs, if you didn't know that. They're supposed to stay dead. It's a bit disconcerting. And storms are rolled away and tombs are empty. And the historical argument for the resurrection is that this group, this Jesus movement, these followers of this Jesus way, were done. We're finished. That they, they felt that their dreams were broken. Their hopes had been dashed. And this historical argument is that what got them going was the resurrection. The Christianity, the rise of it, is inexplicable without some sort of new beginning, some sort of, some sort of fresh start that, that, that helped them understand everything Jesus has been talking about. And that's how the resurrection functions. But Jesus doesn't achieve his victory by living on as an immortal soul. He achieves it by rising again in a physical body. He demonstrates. He doesn't say, listen guys, on the road to Emmaus, I've got a better idea than this kingdom of God stuff. I talked about it, I lived it, we modelled it, we created it. But now we're just going to focus on going to heaven when you die. He doesn't say that. But actually the resurrection shows that the kingdom of God project has begun in earnest. This new life, this thing Jesus announced, here it is amongst us. You see, what faith is, is not some belief in something that allows us to go somewhere where we die. That is a cheap sale. Faith is participation in this life of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, or to be a follower of this Jesus way, to live that way, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of his, to be schooled by him, to be taught by him, means to live the life of Jesus, this resurrection life, which God graciously shares with us. So it means to go through the same journey Jesus did, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, that doesn't mean you're going to end up on a Roman cross, but it means we need to incarnate, make flesh, live out this stuff in our daily lives. You see, what God has for you is not beyond you. It's not tasks that are too big for us. Oh, I can't do something for God. That's lofty, that's big, that's huge, that's for special people, that's for Jesus himself. No, they're not in things beyond our scope, beyond our imagination, but they're the nearest thing to hand. The nearest opportunity, the everyday things where we live out as Jesus did in a real physical body, just as we do in our real places. We live out this life of God, love, this kingdom of God stuff. What would it look like if God was in charge in my life, in my home, on my street, in my town, in my county, in my nation? Well, let's try that out. Let's live that out. Let's do that together. We incarnate it and we're crucified. It means to live a life for others, a new life for others, a self-sacrificial life that prefers others, even to the point of death. In other words, we've lost our life in the service of others. We're committed to that mission. And that's where we actually find the joy. 
And we actually find this resurrection life, this new life, this Zoe, it's eternal life, that even death can't crush. It's found in this new life, this new movement, this new thing that God is doing, this kingdom of God. Our relationship to God isn't a, the, a relationship to some supreme being out there, some religious relationship. It's a life in us. It's connecting us to everything that is real. You see, fear, abandon them and join me. Leads to division. And division leads to hate, and hate leads to violence, abuse, suffering. And the broken individuals can mean often a broken society. But I believe this on Easter Sunday, that broken people can be made whole. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples, you know, told Thomas about it. One of Jesus' followers, and he said this, he said, unless I see the nail marks, I put my hand where the nails were, I won't believe it. Come on, people don't rise from the dead. So, sure enough, Jesus comes in and Jesus says, put your hand See the nail marks, put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So he saw it. We often focus on Thomas and his faith and his belief and all that kind of thing. But what I find amazing about this is Jesus' resurrection body had nail marks. Had a mark in his side. But what's that about? Couldn't they fix that? Did they miss that on the production line? What happened to quality control? Jesus' body has got nail marks, his resurrection body. Why, why is it not flawless? But the thing is that Jesus remained broken. But we can be both broken and whole. So broken people we can be made whole, not unbroken, but broken and whole. That that sometimes in, 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 this, in this life things happen to us and they mark us and they shape us. But we can wear those scars, whether physical or not so physical, with pride. Because we're broken. We're broken people. And what God accepts of us, uh, expects of us, sorry, is not a flawless performance. But instead we have this technology. And it's called grace. And grace says this, you are accepted. Not because of what you've done, but because I am love. It's an amazing thing to hear from God. It's an amazing thing to hear in a community as well. You just accept it. We have this thing called grace. So as broken people, we can be healed and whole. In other words, we're broken, but we're not divided. That division within all of us, where we've still got that internal strife, all those things we haven't dealt with, those fears that are driving us, that concern about our status and how we're received and what might happen in the future, we can deal with those things. And we can be both broken and whole. We can be broken and complete, not flawless, not divided but at the same time whole. Broken people, we can be made whole. And 
just as Jesus' resurrection body still bore the scars of everything he'd given, but he still was filled with the wholeness and the new life of resurrection, we too can hold out for that. We can let go of these things that are, de- uh, 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 are tangling us up. Uh, uh, the internal strife that we have, that leads to external conflict. Those things can change. They don't have to remain. We don't have to stay in fear and worry and strife and enmity. But we can move towards something else. We can participate in this life, in this same journey that Jesus took. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.